Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the show. Um, As you know, my guest for both hours today, I'm so excited. My dear friend, John Zmirak. John, you and I were in Seattle together. We bonded. We, we, we shared an experience. We shared many experiences. Uh, I think we've talked about it on the air, so we don't need to talk about it. Now, I did, did we talk about no, what, what we, we did? Have not, we have not done a show since. Remember, you last week you, you took the, the audio of our event in Seattle oh. and played that. We have not been on the radio together since Seattle. What? And that changed our lives. It changed our that- relationship. We're so close now. That we can complete each other's. <laughs> no, you're, we can't. you're supposed to say thoughts. Uh, yeah, yeah no, but I, was, I, I know I was just. What a, what a mean. You're mean. I got you. I got I, you're you. comfortable enough with doing that to me on Maybe the air, being mean. <laughs> okay, we should tell people before we talk about all the news and you, all the articles you've written at stream.org, we should talk about um, some of the things we did while we were in. Seattle together. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll start by saying that we stayed at the Arctic Club Hotel, which I think is the greatest place ever. And we have a Socrates in the City event there in Seattle, April 28th. And I hadn't been there in 11 years. And you, John Zmirak, had never been there. And you can back me up that the place is like, it's insane. I just still can't believe that they preserved this gorgeous club oh it's magnificent i mean it's like late victorian architecture it's it's you know reminds you the new york public library or uh it's nicer than the yale club nicer than any yale club i've seen it's really um before architects were told you can make everything an ugly glass box which was basically 1939. So no, well, no, no. But this building, just so people are clear, it's a Edwardian era. It was yeah, built 1914. Was it 14 or 16? Anyway, Whatever, yeah. r- around there. But I know I've said this on the program before, but uh, not everybody listens to every program. So I just want to say that the Arctic Club Hotel in downtown Seattle used to be a men's club, a private club. People who made a lot of money in the Yukon Gold Rush who were from the Seattle area said, let's make a club and call it the Arctic club. So the facade has carved walruses. When you look up, there's carved walruses and all this cool stuff. And there's a, there's a Northern lights, golden dome room, which obviously was, was original to the club. It's gorgeous. And we're going to have the Socrates event there. But my favorite thing is the lobby because that is the location of the polar bar. And the wonderful thing about it is there is a huge blue polar bear, and it's real. At first, you think you're hallucinating. Maybe you shouldn't have had so much absinthe. But then you you go over, you touch it. Oh, here, it's real. There's a real white blue polar bear. And the bar looks like it's made out of ice from the Arctic. It's a gorgeous room. It's one of the most beautiful rooms. It reminds me of the Explorers Club in New York. Yes. Um, the English speaking union, some of those just extraordinary places. 
back from before they realized they could make buildings ugly and people would put up with it. Well, the, the really cool thing is that once the club kind of faded away, they turned it into an office building. They didn't destroy it. And then I'm not sure when, like around 2000 something, some bright people said, yeah. let's turn it into a hotel. And they yeah. just they did it up. Anyway, you and I stayed there. We I mean, experienced. Look, it reminds me of my old apartment building in downtown Dallas, which you saw once, which is a 1909 Gothic skyscraper. Gorgeous place. I lived there until the Beagles got me evicted. Well, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, so we can we can uh, keep going here. The Socrates event, April 28th in Seattle, will be at the Arctic Club Hotel. Number one. Number two, it's going to be Michael Medved talking about his book, uh, American Miracle. I promise you, folks just one of the most wonderful books I've ever read. It's just, it's amazing. I, I really, I've been friends with, with, with Michael Medved for many years. We don't agree on everything, but we agree on most things. And this book, anyway, that's what we're going to do on April 28th at the Arctic club. But John, you and I, we experienced other parts of Seattle because now the event, which we played, I guess on Friday, you, you, the, the main reason we were there was the Sunday night event at Westgate Chapel, the Apologia thing where you and I sat up there and we talked and it, we just had a great time. But before that, we did so many things and maybe well, uh, yeah, you'll we, remember. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, we, we went to dinner with some wonderful, brilliant people from the Discovery Institute at the beautiful Metropolitan Club, this downtown steakhouse, another beautiful 1920s building that's standing in downtown Seattle. And, and, and I, I really want to see Seattle reclaimed from the psychotic protesters because it's such a gorgeous city with so many. Oh, historic yeah. buildings. oh no, it really is. There's so much. Uh, it's just great bone structure. Um, and you. So, yeah, you and I had dinner with Stephen Meyer, uh, John West, Andrew McDermott and other folks from the Discovery Institute. They kindly hosted us. Uh, at a wonderful dinner. We love the Discovery Institute. They're just tremendous. Uh, and um, it was amazing to sit there with John West and Steve Meyer and Andrew McDermott, just all these really brilliant minds, Casey Luskin. I, I'm, I've read maybe 20, 25 books on intelligent design in the last three or four years. And it was really fun to be with the people who wrote the books or do the podcasts or edit the websites. Because I think intelligent design is probably the most important intellectual movement in, in, in the world right now. And here's why. If you believe in Darwinism, let's say you chart it up with a little bit of Christianity. Oh, you know, God was somehow behind the survival of the fittest somehow. And let's just not try to think through the details here because, you know, thinking makes wrinkles. And then you got to get both <laughs> And I don't want to do the Botox again. I mean, it was painful. Uh, so if you think that way, you don't see divine design in things as simple as your dog or your cat. You've been taught to think this is the result of millions and millions of years of relentless, ruthless competition with absolutely no purpose behind it. Just machines fighting it out like rock'em soccer robots and the ones that survive make more machines and it's all purely chance and guess what we are a result of that same chance um there's like there's a cosmic jacuzzi 
And we are one of the farts that floats to the top of the of the of the bathtub and goes pop. Uh, that's what Darwinism teaches you to think, even if you say you're a Christian Darwinist. Saying you're a Christian Darwinist is on the order of saying this is pizza, but it's ice cream. There is no overlap. Between I, I listen, John. I it thrills me to hear you say this uh, because. The the folks at the Discovery Institute, ladies and gentlemen, these are heroes. There are so many, many that we haven't even mentioned. Uh, Michael Denton, uh, who lives in England, uh, has written a number of books. It is next level. It's unbelievable. The level of design that is obvious is is just more and more shocking as time passes. We see more and more. And people like Michael Denton are, are writing books I mean, the, the, the evidence is, is coming out more and more and more and more. And what I find fascinating, I talked to James Tour about it uh, in a slightly different way when I'm in the um, uh, when I do, did the Socrates event recently. But like the, the question is, what is the establishment uh, scientific community? How are they dealing with this? They can't handle it. And they're sort of freaking out. Yes, the atheists out there are trying to censor us and silence us and, and prevent people from even discussing the possibility of divine design in, in science classrooms or even there, there being any discernible design or teleology in nature. But I think it's also important that we address the self-censorship and the self self-brain, auto-brainwashing that goes on on this subject. I can just tell you personally why... I used to say that I was a Christian evolutionist. I believed in evolution and, and the Bible, and that they got reconciled somehow, somehow, uh, that I didn't really need to think about. And the Vatican, they said it was okay. But it really, I thought it, my own resistance to thinking about intelligence design was entirely based in kind of tribalism. I'm a Catholic. I did not want to be mistaken for some snake handler who goes to a theme park with his kids where Adam and Eve are riding dinosaurs. That was it. That was the extent of the intellectual process. John, excuse me. Excuse me. That what you just said is how most of us process things. That's the that's the problem is that most of us are guilty of what you just said. We got to go to a break. Um, but I want to say uh, this is an important point. We'll pick it up when we come back talking to John Zmirak. Hey there, folks. We're talking to John Zmirak. Hey, John Zmirak, you spell your name with a Z followed by an M. Is that is that for real or is that just something that you put on? You know, no one has ever spelled my name correctly and no two pe- nobody has ever spelled it twice the same way. It seems to be a secret name. It's not the name of God, but it may, you know, maybe it's the name of some parody or something, but no one can spell my name. No one can pronounce my name. Uh, maybe back in Croatia, there's somebody who, who can 
you know, some old lady, if I go and find her in a cave, she will whisper the correct pronunciation to me and I can share it with the world. Okay. Uh, forgive me for ma- starting out with a dumb joke because you were making a really important point about how we process things and what you right. said. Right. You you admitted, and I have admitted myself in the past. When I was at Yale, that's the way I functioned because I I was insecure. It's I didn't the way know what I everybody functions. It is kind of the way everybody automatically functions. We the great thing about the the cartoon The Simpsons is that it captures the way we process reality, the way most of us process reality most of the time if we don't step back and reflect on it and critique ourselves. So I thought people who believed in anything other than evolution with a little God sticker stuck on top of it, anybody who believed, talked about intelligent design or talked about, you know, criticisms of Darwinism, I thought they believed that the Earth was, you know, exactly 6,007 years old and we knew the exact date of creation and that Adam and Eve were riding dinosaurs which is why we're going to set up a theme park in Arkansas where you can bring your kids to see a creationist museum and it has nothing to do with science we think the devil put them fossils in the ground to tempt us uh well listen before you intellectual caricatures that I had picked up along the way because I I was going to say I know many people who have uh, what's called a young earth view. But again, what we should be interested in and what we're talking about and and what you're saying now is we should be interested in what is true. And we shouldn't let whoever believes it. I mean, if, 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 if some horrible person believes Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus did rise from the dead. So if I balk because some horrible, embarrassing person believes that, we ought to simply believe what is true. And you uh, rather but heroically. Do but, but people right. don't. Right. Nobody does what you just said. They pretend to, but very few people do believe things because they tr- they're true. They believe things because the other people who believe the same things wear cool jackets and go to fun brunch places. They believe things because. They think it'll help them make more money or get more prestige or find a good mate. People believe things for all sorts of reasons. And the fact that they they seem to be true and implied by the evidence, well, by logic, okay. that's one of the weakest, rarest reasons for people to believe anything. Okay, people but, think like members of tribes. But trying to twist this in a positive direction, forgive me, you uh, have processed this stuff and you've come out the other side. Here's how it happens. Uh, I, I, I have done that with a number of things. Yeah. People listening to this radio program uh, are doing that with right. a number of things. But and, it's an effort. It's an effort because our intellects are corrupted by the fall of man. And that's all I'm trying to say. We are fallen. And as a result, it's easy for us not to follow the truth, but to follow convenience, comfort. Ob- obviously. And that's the world we are living in today. Uh, and so you have... Um, quote unquote, evangelical Christians who uh, style themselves atheistic evolutionists who who say uh, uh, that, you know, yeah, we believe in an evolution. We believe somehow God was behind it next. And when you bring up to most of those folks, Biologos is is a a prominent organization like that. The key for me is that they sneer at the intelligent design right. people. The sneering is the giveaway. 
That's what I was pointing to, is that the sneering is their main tactic of persuasion. It was my main tactic of self-persuasion. Oh, you don't want to be one of those people. That's not the mark of intellectual honesty, but it's how really most intellectuals operate. Virginia Woolf was a good friend of the poet T.S. Eliot. When she heard he had become a Christian, she, she wrote a letter to her friends. He must be dead to us. To all our oh, friends. Oh, yeah. You know, that's cancel culture, yeah. you know, whatever, circa 19, I don't know, 30. Yeah. Um, but that's the way it is. And, and we want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, there's something called truth. There's something called reality. God is behind all of it. It is non-negotiable. Reality is reality. And the bravest thing sometimes in a culture that sneers at reality and truth is to speak uh, uh, about truth and to uphold uh, reality, whether it's biological reality or the reality of how we got here or the reality of, uh, well, of all these things. So that's what we're talking about. I don't want to get too far afield, but I want to say that the guys that uh, that the, the folks at the Discovery Institute have been heroes. Yeah. I, I, I also should say, um, if you go to the Socrates in the City um, website or our YouTube channel, I've interviewed Stephen Meyer numerous times on this stuff. I have interviewed Michael Behe, uh, another one of the heroes on this stuff. There are a number of uh, Discovery folks uh, whom I've in- interviewed at Socrates in the City. And I want to encourage people, if, if you need a way in uh, to, to the discovery world and to intelligent design, um, I, I just would say go to SocratesInTheCity.com, uh, check out Stephen Meyer, check out Michael uh, Behe, and there are others I can't remember. We're out of time in this segment. When we come back, John, we're going to talk uh, about the Georgian restaurant and the cathedral, and then we're going to talk about the news. We'll be right back. You used to Welcome back. I'm talking to John Smirak. Hey, John, that's you. Yeah, and I was talking about why intelligent design is so important. Um, It's not something that argues from the Bible. It's not something that argues from religious authority. What it does is it looks at the Darwinist claim that everything in the universe has happened by accident, including you. Everything that happened in the universe is the result of deterministic dominoes falling one by one, causing the next one to fall with no free will, no independent intelligence, no no spirit. Everything is just matter. It's just machines, uh, including your thoughts, including your thought that nature is just a machine that is not even an independent thought that's not a result of you observing the truth that's just dominoes falling in your head so everything that happens happens for no reason you know the old cliche everything that happens happens for a reason darwinism is the reassuring claim everything that happens happens for no reason at all no reason at all it's just stuff that happens. we have to be clear that when you look unblinkingly at darwinism at materialism it is unbearably bleak ladies and gentlemen this is the key is that the people who claim to believe in this stuff do not take it far enough they pretend we can still be nice to each other there's such a thing as 
good and bad and we we can get along and we, we don't want to be racist. They believe things that make no sense. Uh, they struggle in all these Christian ethics. And I want to tell them, stop, put that morality down. You did not pay for that morality. Give it back. The security that, guard will take it from you. At no, the no. And you will that's, not be allowed in the store again. That's that's what I was just saying. The is that really they all pretend consent- that you can be that you cannot be a racist. And I think to myself, wait a second. If you believe in Darwinism, Darwinism is racism. There's no way around it. Darwin and- was a racist who said eventually the white races, white race will wipe out all the uncivilized inferior races and it'll be progress for the species. Charles Darwin said that in a letter to Charles Kingsley. Charles Darwin believed that. The person who took Darwinism seriously and really applied it was Hitler and Margaret Sanger and the other eugenicists. They believed, well, if it's all survival of the fittest, then the plan is for the superior to wipe out the inferior so that everybody is the best. And that so if you want to be a consistent Darwinist, you should be into scientific racism and the hierarchy, creating hierarchies within the human species and breeding out anyone with handicaps or anyone who's, you know, like me, congenitally short. Eventually they'll come for us, too. But uh, so but so many things follow from believing that nothing happens for any reason. Nothing happens for any reason. Then our bodies don't have a purpose and they don't have a natural, they don't have a structure that has a meaning. So it doesn't, if you're male or female, but you don't feel comfortable with that, you can have surgeons change that because your organs don't have a purpose. Your sexual organs don't have a purpose to reproduce the human species. They're just stuff that happened. And you can do whatever you want with stuff that happened. You can cut it off, you can replace it. You can you can have extramarital affairs. You can you can be promiscuous. None of it matters. And again, I'm just doing what I always do is just reiterate what you're saying. But people need to face this, that if you believe in Darwinism, it forces you, if you're intellectually honest, to face the bleak meaninglessness of the universe. And people go, yeah, yeah, okay, no, no. It is it is beyond bleak. There's nothing neutral about it. It's nihilistic to the point of satanic and horrifying and inhuman and anti-human. And that is just something that people say that they just skip past that. And what you just said is they kind of smuggle in Christian values and nice ideas like, oh, racism is bad. Yes, you're right. It is bad. But you can't tell me why. In fact, everything you believe tells me that it's not bad. So you're living in bad faith to quote Jean-Paul Sartre, um, who was an atheist and eventually ended up believing in God, which is in my magnificent book, Is Atheism Dead? Um, okay, John, can we can we talk about um, more about Seattle? We went to we, that beautiful we went to that beautiful Seattle's cathedral, St. James Cathedral, which was renovated by liberal Catholics in the 70s. So it was not nearly as beautiful as it was before, but it's still lovely. You oh, were it's very ru- beautiful. You were no, seeing was, like the ruins after the Visigoths sacked the place. But it was I, quite I, I was really moved by the sanctity and the beauty uh, of the mass, um, of the building, of the music particularly. It was really... Uh, wonderful. It's an amazing cathedral. It sits at high atop uh, 
the hill that is uh, Seattle. I didn't remember that Seattle was quite so much of a hill, but that was wonderful. And after that, you said, hey, there's a Georgian restaurant. Do you, you, would you like to explain? Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw we were looking for some place to eat on Sunday. And I said, oh, a Georgian restaurant. Great. Chicken and waffles. But no, when we get there, it was not our good American Georgia cuisine. It was the cuisine of the windswept mountains of the region of the borderland between Asia and Europe, Georgia, Russian Georgia, Georgia next to Armenia, next to Turkey, next to Nagorno-Karabakh, this what amazing place, one of the first countries to adopt Christianity, along with Armenia and Ethiopia. Um, and they had these amazing egg pies and meat pies that they bake for lunch. And uh, it, was, it was weird because it's traditional medieval Georgian cuisine, yeah. but you have to order it on your phone through an app and like an alarm goes off when you go pick it up. It was a weird mixture of the postmodern and, and the pre-modern. And you and I did the thing that married couples do. We said, let's get one of these and one of these, and we'll split both of them so we get to taste two of these things. And when I asked for a knife, they were culturally offended. They said, <laughs> no, no, in this culture. I mean, this is actually true. In the this culture, like, no. we, we, we do not have sharp objects. No, we are tearing, tearing with hands, only tearing with hands. <laughs> but but anyway, the point is they, they, just messing with us. they, they yeah. wouldn't give us a knife. Um, but but the food was good. Yeah. Um, and and then <clears throat> and we met some other interesting people. Um, we've had Andrew McDermott on this uh, program. Uh, he introduced us to some other people, one of whom, James Kearney, uh, we're going to interview on this program uh, oh. very soon. And we will air that. Uh, we're, we're out of time uh, in this segment. We're going to talk about current events uh, when we come back. Don't go away. Folks, I'm still talking to John Smirak. John, uh, you write amazing articles at stream.org. I tell people you've got to go there. You've got to bookmark it. Um, you wrote about something about you called it America's National Exorcism. Yeah. Let's start there. That's an article you wrote recently. Let's talk about it. Sure. Um, America's National Exorcism, how it's going so far, because I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, the best way to understand how crazy things have gotten and the fact that, you know, we're worried about a Chinese spy balloon. Look, I think the former Joe Biden is a Chinese spy balloon floating around the White House. Uh, Hunter Biden was in bed with the Ukrainian corrupt Ukrainian government. And for all we know, we may be getting close to a nuclear war with Russia in order to cover up Hunter Biden's corrupt business dealings with the Ukrainian government. Absolute madness stuff that would not have passed muster for a Saturday Night Live skit in 1979 is like the headlines now. Um, they want to cut the breasts off 13-year-old girls and give them male hormones. They want to castrate chemically or physically teenage boys. 
the Democrats voted all but one for children who survive abortions to be killed by the doctors once they're out of the womb. This is just madness. The, the only person who predicted how crazy and how terrible things would get was Pat Buchanan. My hero, Pat Buchanan, in 1992, gave a speech at the Republican National Convention that caused a national conniption fit in which he said the left is waging a religious war against Christians in America and we must start to fight back. And immediately after he gave that speech, Bill Bennett goes on TV and says, oh, this is terrible, this right-wing extremism. And the whole Republican establishment had a collective hissy fit, went on the fading couch clutching its pearls because he was telling the truth. There is a religious war to purge the traditional America, to purge America of Christianity, to purge it of private property, to purge it of the family. All three things were targets that Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels identified in the middle of the 19th century as the barriers to socialism, the barriers to communism. He, they both said these things must be dismantled for communism to triumph. So when you see these things being dismantled by people who quote Marx, maybe you should accept what's going on, that there's something insanely destructive unleashed on the country. There is no rational case to be made for taking a sexually confused teenager. And instead of giving him talk therapy, you carve up his body to match his confused thoughts. That is absolute madness. That's like the lobotomy craze of the 1950s. Uh, but it's real and it's taking over state by state. And it takes only a few Republicans like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump are actually standing up against it because too many of them are just sniveling cowards there to cash a paycheck. Um, when, when you uh, when you say how's our national exorcism going in that article and then you mentioned Pat Buchanan, are you referencing the other article that you wrote as well? well? Yeah, but I don't I don't want to confuse things. I'll, I'll get to that. I, but, I but let's, let me just ask you about Pat Buchanan, because. You knew him. You worked for him. Um, and he hasn't, by the way, he hasn't died. He has retired his column. And that's why. Yeah, I, you scared me when you when you said earlier off the air something about you made it sound like he's he's gone. I was like, did I miss something? No, he's retired. He's retired his week, his biweekly column. Happy uh, Kennedy is the guy who was right about everything. And of course, nobody forgave him for that. There, it, the one unforgivable sin is to be right. To Wait. Stand. Now, wait a minute, John. Uh, we have to go to a break. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to drag John across the border into hour two. Plenty more with John's Mirac. Don't go away. Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. I shouldn't tell you this, but Eric hired someone who sounds just like him to host today's show. But since I'm the announcer, they told me, so I'm telling you, don't be fooled. The real Eric's in jail. Folks, welcome to Hour 2. It always follows Hour 1, at least uh, in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, that's traditional. John, uh, 
I've been talking to you all through hour one and I've, I've dragged you over and I want to want to warn people. I'm going to talk to you in this segment and in the next segment. And after that, we're going to play the final segment of the conversation that you and I had in Seattle. We played most of it on Friday. We're going to play uh, the final 15 minutes. You don't want to miss it, folks. Trust me on that one. Uh, anyway, John, you were just talking about Pat Buchanan and you said he's, he was right about everything. He's one of those figures. I remember when he gave that speech in 92, how they came after him. It's very similar to the way they went after Donald Trump. That's right. The unforgivable sin. You can't say those things. If you say those things, we will crucify you. And Pat Buchanan became the 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 scapegoat yeah. for the sort of the kind of the respectable conservatives, the conservatives right. who wouldn't say the kinds of things that he said. So Pat Buchanan in the late 1980s was warning that mass immigration was going to balkanize America, make affirmative action permanent and ubiquitous, create racial division and impoverish the country. He was right about all of that. Pat Buchanan warned that there was a religious war being waged to purge the country of Orthodox Christians and their institutions, our institutions. And he was right about that. And Pat Buchanan warned that there was absolutely no reason to go to war with Saddam Hussein's Iraq. They didn't have weapons of mass destruction. They didn't pose a threat to the United States. And we would get caught up in an endless quagmire that achieved nothing except to get the Christians in the country persecuted and driven out. He was right about everything, and nobody forgave him for that. Because in respectable rhino country club Republican circles, you don't say things like that. You don't say truthful things. You don't you don't talk about that in front of the servants. Um, you say comforting things. You blow smoke up each other's skirts. You massage each other, the back of each other's necks, and you order more tankery and tonic. You don't say truthful things. Happy Cannon was what they tried to completely cancel him, get him off TV, cancel his column because he kept saying uncomfortable things that were true and. That's why I've admired him for 30 years, and he was kind of a role model for me. And um, it's sad for me to see him retiring his column, but I like to think that in my small way, I will pick up the torch and carry it. But I want to point out all the good and true things that, that Donald Trump was saying, Pappy Cannon was saying 25 years before right. and and getting getting exiled and, and scapegoated and lied about, falsely accused of anti-Semitism. Let me ask you a question. Uh, maybe you know, you probably know the answer. Do you know what, what William F. Buckley thought of Buchanan? Because I loved Buckley, um, but um, I, I just wonder, were they friendly uh, and, and maybe disagreed on some things, or did Buckley have disdain f for Pat Buchanan? They were friendly for a while, and then there was sort of a crossroads in the 90s where Buckley basically had to decide, is National Review going to continue to be a conservative magazine, or will we morph it into a neoconservative magazine? And for a while, he, when he retired, he, he appointed John O'Sullivan to be the editor, and it was an authentically conservative magazine. For various reasons, it's sort of murky behind the scenes, Buckley decided to fire John O'Sullivan and replace him with Rich Lowry. 
And the magazine became a neoconservative rag to the point where I go entire months without remembering that National Review even still exists. And I don't know anyone who reads it. I don't know anyone who takes it seriously. I never see the article shared anywhere. It seems to have as much influence as the Daily Worker has. But you're you're kind of you're skipping ahead because uh, I I don't I don't know that we want to conflate the never Trump magazine of 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 the the latter latter years with what it was then and well, I, well, I, no this I is wanna... what it was turning into buckley decided the magazine is going to go in a neoconservative direction and he got rid of the more conservative traditional conservative people and he brought on people like jonah goldberg and david Frum, who would move it in that direction and that's why national review was a cheerleader for the iraq war and is now a cheerleader for war with Russia. Where, excuse me, where does, uh, uh, would, would Pat Buchanan, you said he retired his column. What, what, do you suppose there would be any chance to get him uh, on this program? Absolutely. I'll put you in touch with him. I, I, because I, you're I, way too dangerous. I need somebody safe like Pat Buchanan. He and I email periodically, so I will put you in touch with him. Yeah. You're, you're a loose cannon. I want Pat Buchanan. Um, <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You've been a great audience. Really terrific. Thank you. Good night. Uh, John, uh, John um, you've written so many articles at uh, stream.org. Um, well, we were talking about the national exorcism. OK, right. And then I want to talk about the three prophets you mentioned in one another article. Right. Um, the national exorcism I, in that column at the stream, I talk about Dostoevsky's famous novel, The Possessed. In that novel, he depicts a small, peaceful Russian city where rabid intellectuals who have no grounding in ordinary reality, no love for ordinary people, and no love for reason, for the blessed reason, the gift that God gave us. Instead, they get caught up in revolutionary, destructive ideologies that lead the city to fall into chaos. Okay, hang on. Let's be clear in case people aren't tracking. The great Dostoevsky wrote this in like 1883. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand the level of uh, prophetic genius in Fyodor Dostoevsky writing about these things, which came to pass exactly as he wrote about them? That's what John's talking about. It's amazing. In his own Russia. These things came to pass in Russia in 1917. They're coming to pass now in 2023 in America. When the intellectual classes cease to be governed by reason, when they abandon faith, when they stop loving their country and stop loving their fellow man, and instead become addicted to trans ideologies that are going to transform reality and create utopia. Uh, so that we can have 47 genders. So we don't have to have private property. We don't have to have national borders. Um, people don't, people can't talk to their own doctors and make their own medical decisions. The World Health Organization will make those decisions for them. We are now in a situation like Russia on the brink of the Russian Revolution. And uh, one, one thing that was happening in Dostoevsky's Russia that Michael Burley writes about in this book, Blood and Rage, A History of Terrorism. When anarchist terrorists would commit acts of violence, when they would kill civilians, so they would mur- try to murder the czar, the, the juries would not convict them. 
even though they were obviously guilty, they would not convict them because they were working for progress and for the revolution. So murderers were constantly let loose on the streets to terrorize people. Um, something You're saying very, that like it's a bad thing, John. Come on. Something very similar happened with the George Floyd riots. Wait, well, you've, you've written about this. Hey, the anar- anarcho-tyranny, you've written about anarcho-tyranny, and you've, you've written about the two, I mean, a lot of people have talked about this. We are experiencing it now, and that's what you write about in your article at stream.org. That's right. We, we, when Kamala Harris goes on television and says the riots were good, and in fact, we're going to raise bail for the people who were burning police cars and trying to burn courthouses. What is that about? And then those same government officials after the election, the people who showed up on January 6th and took selfies in the Capitol, they have to be put in solitary confinement. They have to be essentially tortured. They have to be treated so badly that now the January 6th defendants are petitioning the government to transfer them to Guantanamo Bay so they can get the same kind of cushy, humane treatment that the rapists from ISIS and the murderers from ISIS are enjoying at taxpayers. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not a joke. That is literally true. What John just said. We'll be right back. Folks, I continue the conversation with John's Mirak. And after the conversation with John's Mirak, we're going to go to the other conversation that I had with John's Mirak. In Seattle uh, last Sunday night, a week ago. So we're going to play the final 15 minutes of that. We played the beginning of it on Friday, but you want the last 15 minutes. Trust me. But, John, we've just got, you know, 10 minutes here to continue talking about the things we're talking about. So you uh, was talking about Toskiewski's novel, The Possessed, in which he shows how lazy thinking uh, herd mentality among intellectuals, people following the trend, people not wanting to get canceled, people wanting to fit in with the other intellectuals, how this has real world consequences and can lead to chaos and destruction. He, in a way, predicted the Russian Revolution, the Russian Civil War, the gulags, the terror, all those things followed because people didn't listen to Dostoevsky. What we are seeing today all the chaos, the fact that the FBI is censoring our social media and is silencing our doctors, that people got thrown out of the military for refusing to take an experimental vaccine made from dead babies for a disease that didn't really threaten them. Actually, not dead babies, murdered babies. Right. Murdered babies. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, the fact that universities have been taken over by a mindless, irrational groupthink. And it's not that intellectuals are are preaching some truth that we benighted religious conservatives can't accept. These are anti-intellectuals. These are morons. The 1619 Project is bad history. It is made up history. It is a left-wing conspiracy theory aimed at white people the way the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was a right-wing conspiracy aimed at Jews. The left has abandoned reason, has abandoned science, and is following its delusional utopias. And the gathering swine are thundering towards the cliff to drown in the sea. 
And it's our job to stop and say, you know what, maybe, maybe don't charge over that cliff. Uh, I want to say, John, to my audience, because it can get it can sound hopeless. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that every single one of us has work to do. And if you don't do it, you become part of the problem. One of the things that I want to ask you to do, if you're able, is take John's article, which we are now discussing, uh, and share it on social media, send it to your friends. It is a very, very particularly powerful essay. Uh, John, uh, when I read it, I was really a little bit astonished by the power of it because it is not just dead on, but the way you say it is extremely powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to be part of the solution. You have to do something about it. Uh, If you're afraid that people are going to hate you on social media because you shared this, you have become part of the problem. I want to be real clear. That's what I talk about in my book, Letter to the American Church. It's what I preach about uh, anytime they let me get uh, behind a pulpit in a church. We all have to do what we can, because if we don't, everything John is talking about, everything Dostoevsky predicted that did happen, everything Bonhoeffer feared that did happen, it is happening now and it will happen and get infinitely worse if every one of us doesn't do what we can do. So I just want to say the least you can do today is go to stream.org, find John's article on this this particular article and share it around social media. It is a very easy thing to do, but it, it is just that uh, incisive and good. John, I don't mean to embarrass you. It is so powerful that when I read it, I was really kind of taken aback. I said, I've got to get this out. And so I'm glad we're talking about it right now. What is the title of it again, if you don't mind? The title is America's National Exorcism, How It's Going So Far. And I certainly don't want people to despair. I want people to see how serious the situation is so that they feel obligated to pray, to fight, to work. Do something as simple as go to Julie Kelly. Read read her at American Greatness as she reports on the abuse of the January 6th prisoners. Write them letters. Write those prisoners letters. Send them books. Pray for them. Pray for the members of the military who lost their pensions and were dishonorably discharged because they didn't want to take a certain vaccine. Pray for those 20 courageous Republicans in Congress who stood up to, to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, listen to this radio show. Listen to Steve Bannon's radio show. Read the Epoch Times. Read Revolver News. Read Chronicles Magazine. Make sure that you are fully conversant with the facts so that you can guide your friends in the right direction. Remember, these bad ideas started small with groups of weirdos smoking closed cigarettes in Greenwich Village, and then they gradually grew and became a movement. We are already we still have millions of people who believe in the resurrection of Christ, who believe in the truth of the Bible, who believe in the truth of the natural law. We have just been made timid. We've been made ashamed. We've allowed ourselves to be gaslit and bullied. And we don't have to be. We can shake off these people. We almost did when they stole the election in 2020. And if a few Republican election officials had done their jobs in a few states, 
we the former Joe Biden would not be floating like a Chinese spy balloon over America at this at this moment. Uh, if a few FBI officials had done their job, if Mike Pence had not told Donald Trump to fire Mike Flynn, the deep state would not have been able to destroy his presidency and render him essentially a lame duck for four years. We can't allow these things to happen again. We can't allow our country to be hijacked by a bipartisan cabal of Democrats and Republicans who want to run the whole country for the benefit of a tiny, irresponsible, spoiled, selfish elite. And, you know, John, uh, obviously everything you say is is dead on. And I want to I want to encourage people, folks, if you just the people who are listening to this conversation right now would get serious about this and do your part self-sacrificially, it would change everything. This is not hopeless. I, I promise you, those who, who believe, oh, there's nothing we can do. Oh, it's so terrible. There's nothing we can do. You're part of the problem. You've got to do something. God will hold you responsible for doing nothing. Again, I write about it in my book, Letter to the American Church. The Germans never dreamt that their silence in the face of evil could lead to un- uh, could could lead to hell on earth, could lead to satanic horrors. They didn't believe it. And when they finally thought, uh uh-oh, pardon me? I want to offer something practical. Two organizations people need to know about. Mass Resistance. Eric, have you heard of the group Mass Resistance? I have not. Okay, they were banned from CPAC for not going along with the gay with the gay agenda. Mass resistance exists, I believe, in 50 states. They do things like trying to stop drag queen story hours, trying to get obscene books written by pedophiles taken out of children's libraries, trying to get school board officials fired if they have pornographic sex education that is hidden from the, from the parents. Mass resistance, look it up on Twitter, look it up on the internet, find your local chapter. It is the most important grassroots organization in America. Another group people should know about, Christians Engaged. It's a group of Christian pastors who are trying to help Christians be responsible, involved, engaged citizens who pledge to vote in every election, every primary, every school board election, according to biblical principles. So look for mass resistance. Look for Christians engaged. Get John, it? you and I both spoke at Christians Engaged had a conference uh, uh, in Dallas some months ago, and you and I both uh, spoke at that. Um, Bunny Pounds Wonderful. Uh, is the leader of it. She's heroic. Christians engaged uh, mass resistance. That one I, I don't know. But what we're saying is you've got to get involved, folks. You've got to do something. And if and if you are just complaining uh, and focusing on, oh, it's all so bad, you've become part of the problem. Because I believe God is looking to his church to stand up and to act, not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And I also think, John, that when you uh, in this glorious article that you've written at stream.org, when you recite this m- monstrous litany of things that's happening, I believe these things, God is allowing these things to wake people up. Things are this bad so that we might wake up and say, no further. We are not going to continue down this line. But if you don't wake up, if you don't face this and do what you can do, and there are a million things you can do. I just mentioned, uh, John mentioned Christians engaged and mass resistance. I mentioned sharing John's article at uh, stream.org. Share it. Do what you can do. I mean, we're basically out of time, John. Ten seconds and we have to go. And 
if you're homebound, if you're in a wheelchair, if you're if you're on a gurney, you can still pray. And praying is the most powerful thing. I'm so grateful for you, John. And by the way, folks, uh, that ends today's conversation with John Zmirak. In the next two segments on this program, we're going to play the last 15 minutes of the conversation that John and I had on the big stage uh, at Gateway Chapel, Apologia Forum. I always forget how to pronounce it. So stay tuned for those 15 minutes coming up. John, thank you, my friend. Thank you. All right. If the re- if the regime is controlling everything around us, what is our response? How do we push back and affect change? I mean, wh- when people say the regime is co- is controlling everything around us, that is fatalistic garbage. Okay, every one of us has tons of freedom right now. Okay, and we're not using it. And you can get more freedom if you want to throw your phone away or get rid of like ninety percent of the apps. Or you, there's a million things you can do. So when people do this thing like, we're, we're all being controlled, we're all being controlled. Yeah, you're being controlled because you have that fatalistic attitude. And Christians are famous for this. They act like, well, because of all the babies that have been killed, we're, we're under judgment. It's nothing we can do. If that's your attitude, you're working for the devil. You need to get busy doing whatever you can do until the Lord says enough. And he hasn't said enough. And so when I hear people say... We're being controlled. You know, some of that's true, but, but it really is up to you. I you, want, you don't need to read the garbage, and you don't need to... Anyway. Yeah. Be that Japanese soldier in 1972 who's still fighting for the emperor. <laughs> shooting at anybody who comes to the island. That should be your attitude. I will die for the emperor! Be that stubborn, cussed, impossible person because the intolerant 3% can set the tone for society. There's a theory that if you have 3% of the population that is just absolutely immovable and nothing you do will influence them and they are unstageous, they're so stubborn, they don't care if you kill them. And they might kill you. This is how the Muslims take over societies and this is how we can take this one back. And by the way, Christians... We're not supposed to be afraid of death. We're supposed to believe, we claim to believe Jesus defeated death on the cross. That when you kill me, you don't kill me. If we live that way, which is how Bonhoeffer lived, we will absolutely change things. We have to live that way. Now you won't get 72 virgins, but that sounds like a lot anyway. (laughs) The whole idea of polygamy just strikes me as, oh man, one is certainly enough. All right, let me jump in here. Have, have either of you had a chance to review the Twitter files revealing state-sponsored censorship? And just my own addition to the question is, why does there seem to be no repercussions to what's being revealed? Well, do you need to review the Twitter files? I mean, I already knew this was true. It's just that now we have proof. Uh, so what can we do about it? I'll, I'll let We John can repeal the Patriot Act. Yeah. Yeah. In 2006, in 2006, I had lunch with this rhino friend of mine, Eric Metaxas, who supported the Patriot Act. Sorry. I think it was 2004, but go ahead. Um, 
I wrote a, I wrote, I wrote a few entries for the American, American Conservatism and Encyclopedia. And I wrote the entry on the War on Terror and the Iraq War and the Patriot Act. And I said, maybe don't give power to George W. Bush that you don't want Hillary Clinton to have in two years or four years or six years. What happened was the CIA and the FBI have always been dangerous to freedom. All right, they lied us into the Vietnam War. They might have killed Kennedy. They certainly spied on us, gave LSD to college students, uh, experimented on people, inter- tapped our phones, interfered in American politics. The church committee, back when Democrats were patriots, some of them, and some of them were decent human beings, they had the church committee to explore the CIA's crimes, and they put restrictions on it. Well, Osama bin Laden gets, gets you know, 11 guys with box cutters onto a plane, and all our freedoms go out the window. We passed the Patriot Act, thereby destroying the freedom that bin Laden supposedly hated. I did a column at the stream, look it up, we fought jihad and jihad won. Inspired by the Clash song, I fought jihad and jihad won. <laughs> we did everything bin Laden could have wanted to make America repulsive and disgusting to young people all around the world, especially the Muslim world. Now, the, who would have believed if I told you in 19, in two, on September 10, 2001, if I told you, well, you know, the FBI is going to be controlling the Internet and they're going to be censoring your doctor and telling you what medicine to take. And if you don't agree with the FBI, you'll be silenced forever. What? Nobody would have believed you. That's how Saudi Arabia gets run. We got remade in the image of the Islamic world. Thanks so much, George W. Bush. All right, so repeal the Patriot Act. That should be something we work on because the Patriot Act took away all the things keeping the CIA and the NSA and the FBI from collaborating and colluding to become a fourth branch of government that is above the other three and is not answerable to them. It's like the KGB taking over Russia. We now have a secret police that is answerable to no one. How do we know it's answerable to no one? Donald Trump tried to rein it in by appointing Mike Flynn. Within four days, there was a coup, a CIA, FBI coup to remove Mike Flynn. Mike Pence collaborated and cooperated with it. So if Mike Pence comes to your church, go be Antifa. Go disrupt that damn event. Uh, the C- then the FBI faked the Russia collusion, which resulted in a fake impeachment of a president. An elected president could not control the FBI and the CIA and the deep state. They are our masters right now. So what we need to do is close them, defund them, start from scratch. Well, that's right. It would be safer. It would be safer to have no FBI. The Mexican drug cartels are our friends compared to the FBI. Al-Qaeda are our brothers in Christ compared to the FBI. A lot of pastors are being silenced or at least intimidated by being called Christian nationalists. In fact, I'd imagine that if they knew about this gathering, everyone here would be called a Christian nationalist. Do you 
I want, well, J- John has a lot to say in this. We don't have a lot of time. I just want to say this. When people talk about Christian nationalism, I leave. You know why? It's garbage. It's like when somebody says, you know, oh, I think you're a racist. Oh, I think you're a transphobe. I think when, when they start using those terms, it is absolute nonsense. You are called by God, okay, to love your country and to serve it by bringing your Christian faith into every aspect of the life of that nation. That's your duty as a Christian. But somebody says, ah, you're a Christian nationalist. Well, yeah, Christians abolished slavery because of their Christian faith. Because they were active Christians, they abolished slavery. Imagine if they said, oh, I don't want to bring my Christian faith into politics. So slavery is just something that will exist forever. That's where we are, folks. If you bring your faith into the world and people say, oh, you're being political, you're a Christian nationalist, they just don't like your politics. They just don't like where you're coming from. But there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. In fact, if you don't do that, God will judge you. He expects you to take your faith into every part of cultural life. And guess what? Everyone who's not a Christian will get blessed when you do that. They will be blessed. I've written a lot about this. I at first thought we should just embrace the term Christian nationalist the way the gays did queer. But I don't think that now. Once I found out Christian nationalist was invented as a dog whistle for the, by the left. Invented by like researchers funded by George Soros types. It was invented as a smear word to insult and scare people. Do you know why Christian nationalism is meant to sound like white nationalists? Just the way election denier is meant to sound like Holocaust denier. See, they target these words in ways that scare liberals into writing checks to disgusting organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center and and the Anti-Defamation League, which is also an basically now an anti-Christian hate group. Uh, the, it was invented as a dog whistle. I don't think we should try to reclaim the word. You know, the Hindus can't reclaim the swastika. It's just lost. Just give it up, people. Yeah, you had it first. It doesn't matter. Christian nationalists... Now, theoretically, Christian nationalism wouldn't have to be bad in the sense that there are three options for governing people. Nationalism imperialism or globalism and tribalism. Those are the three options. Tribalism is the Comanches, the Vikings, the whites have their own homeland and they kill anyone who comes on their territory. I don't think we want that, right? Uh, Globalism and imperialism is George Soros goes to Davos and meets with Meghan Markle and Chelsea Clinton and Greta Thunberg, and they decide what the price of gas and milk will be in America. We don't want that. Nationalism is what the Jews wanted in 1948, what the Irish wanted in 1916, what the Kurds want today. Yeah, nationalism is a good thing. It's patriotism. It's the same thing. But they've tur- they, they use it. It's meant to sound like white nationalism. So don't use the term Christian nationalism. Use the term patriotic Christian. And it, this is why. It's really important. When you say you're a Christian nationalist, it makes it sound like you're a nationalist first and you sort of modify that with some, you know, kind of spray some holy water on it. You're a Christian first and your political views come second. So you're a patriotic Christian. 
That, I think, is the term to use. But if anyone ever calls you a Christian nationalist, you should say, well, are you an atheist globalist? Are you a pagan tribalist? What do you want? What exactly do you want? But also, this important, academics do fake studies to try to show that people are Christian nationalists. And the way they rig the questions, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King and Franklin Roosevelt would all be Christian nationalists right. by, the ter- by the way that... Because if you're against abortion and against open borders and for gun rights and for free press, you are a Christian nationalist. So it's all a scam. It's all a dog whistle. It's an invented hate term. The Nazis did this. They came up with the term Judeo-Bolshevik. Judeo-Bolshevik, they wanted to smear all Jews with communism. The neocons did this when they talked about Islamo-fascism. Whenever people make up terms to manipulate you, don't play along. Don't play along with the dog whistle, but do stuff it back down their throats by saying, okay, so you're a pantheist globalist? You're a a pagan tribalist? What, What are you? Always throw it back on them. Always go back on the offensive. Never apologize. Never explain. I, um... I just, I, I'm worried about the kind of pastors that would worry about this. No, and I, and I really mean this. It's, yeah. it's pathetic. It's sad. I, I mean, some of them are despicable. Some of them I actually just feel sorry for because they're so confused that they, they let a term like this <coughs> rattle them. Where's your courage? We're supposed to be heroic in our faith. Mm-hmm. And so pastors like that, I mean, again, I, in many ways I wrote this book for many of them thinking that if, if, if they've never heard this before, maybe hearing it, and it, this has actually happened with, with a couple, where they read it and they go, you know what, I didn't get this now. Now I, I, I feel terrible that I was silent on this issue or that issue or whatever. I believe there's hope for some. But I think when people try to gaslight you by bringing up terms like that, just walk away. It's, it's complete nonsense. And get Absolute them Eric's nonsense. book, which really can turn Ned Flanders into into Bart Simpson. Okay, we want Bart Simpson. That's not what you were looking for. We want Bart You're... Simpson pastors, yeah. not Ned Flanders yeah. pastors. All righty. Um, I am so delighted. I'm serious. It has been so much fun sitting up here and just listening to you both. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Um, just quickly, before we leave, um, just quickly, just hold tight for just a second, if you would, please. Uh, Eric, the, the Socrates in the City is coming up in April. April. 20, please uh, go to my website and sign up for my newsletter. I share, oh, I'm not kidding. Every week, John and I have a conversation. Every single week, I share it. If you get my newsletter, it'll come to you. Every single week. It's important stuff. Letters, uh, letter to the American church is available. We've got copies here tonight. Um, yeah, my website is ericmetaxas.com. Please do sign up for the newsletter and share this stuff. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. God bless you. Good night. Folks, welcome back. Before you forget, yes. Okay, a couple of assignments. The John's Mirac article. 
ladies and gentlemen, we've talked about it. You go to stream.org, the one about the national exorcism, print it out, share it, share it on social media. This is an assignment. We all need to get busy doing stuff. If you can't do that, don't do it. But if you can, please do that. Also, um, we want to direct you to SalemNow.com where you can see Walt's Disenchanted Kingdom for free, actually. Uh, Walt's Disenchanted Kingdom for free. It, it tells you about the state of affairs in that woke, monstrous, uh, evil, evil corporation uh, called the Walt Disney Corporation, where if you ever spend a dime, you've become part of the problem. They have become. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's amazing. Listen, I say this all the time. It's hard for us to process what has happened in this nation, hard for us to process that corporations we once trusted with our kids, uh, we can no longer trust on any level. They're our enemies. But we need to get we need to process it and get serious and take action. Um, so the least you can do is never spend a penny in these places. But there's much more we can do and we need to do it. That's the point. We need to do it. And uh, by the way, townhall.com published uh, a wonderful new article. It's titled A Response to uh, Eric Metaxas's Letter to the American Church. Um, the person who wrote it, uh, Cliff, I can't think of his last name, he will be on this program in the next few weeks. Very interesting story, but that's at townhall.com. Um, I also want to uh, remind people, we have a Socrates in the City event coming up February 28th with Jeannie Constantinou. Uh, I'm going to be singing a George Jones set uh, on that day, uh, including his love and her is getting in my way. Uh, I don't want to jerk his beard out, but I may. You know, that song, yeah. uh, Choices, uh, uh, Sinners and Saints, uh, Bone Dry, and White Lightning. Uh, um, so uh, anyway, go to SocratesandCity.com, sign up for that. Yeah, and, and the next uh, event, I'm hoping you're going to sing some Brooks and Dunn, because I like Brooks and Dunn. Well, we'll see how this event goes. Oh, like, okay. We'll see. Fair enough. All right? But, um, okay, I, uh, I don't want to jerk his beard out, but I'm a... Oh, my gosh. George, is there anybody better than George Jones? The answer would be no. Like, there's literally no one better. Some people in some ways might equal George Jones, but the country legend that is George Jones. I mean, there's certain people you think like, okay, I won't get to meet him until I get to heaven. But, uh, you know, Buck Owens, there's a number of folks that I just knowing people who knew them. That's why I was so excited talking to Ricky Skaggs. Yeah, because Ricky Skaggs knew these people well, was friends with all these people, did a duet with George Jones. Wow. You know how it is being Ricky Skaggs. Okay, so um, we should also uh, uh, mention uh, not just Socrates in the City, but um, please support our sponsors, MyPillow.com, MyStore.com, Nutramedics.com. Use the code ERIC. Uh, There's so many things you can get there. I just want to encourage people to spend their money in places that that share our values, that care about the nation, that care about family. And we have to get serious about that. Um, and while you're at it, visit inspireadvisors.com slash Eric. They help you 
take the money that you have in your 401k or whatever it is. These are places where you're, you probably have your money in, in, in corporations that are harming America and you and your family, whatever. You go to inspireadvisors.com slash Eric, uh, and they will help you take your money away from those wicked places. Thanks for everything, for listening, folks. Thank you, Albin. And we'll be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Oh